Hi, and welcome to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. I'm Edward Lugo, the project manager for the Servants of Christ Jesus. And today on the podcast, we have Father Paul, Father James, Brother Thomas, and Brother Peter. Hello, everyone. Hey, Ed. Hello. Hello. Hey, Ed. So would somebody like to explain what we are going to be talking about today? Or just, just tell everyone what you're going to be talking about today. One word, or three words, four words. The vow of chastity. There we go. Thank you, Brother Thomas. So chastity is one of the evangelical councils. This is the second of a series of three podcasts we're having on the three evangelical councils. And Father Paul, could you explain what the evangelical council of chastity is? Yeah, so chastity in general, when the catechism speaks about it, it talks about the integration of our our body and spirit, the integration of our uh, human sexuality um, and expressing it in a way that's authentically loving. And so everyone is called to the virtue of chastity um, in the sense that everybody is called to express their human sexuality in, in an integral way based on this state of life that they're currently in. And so, you know, a married person is called to live out chastity um, in a particular way and then for us as religious, there's a distinctive way that we're called to live out the virtue of chastity, which is specifically the vow of chastity. And so the vow of chastity would then be where you're making a commitment to consecrate yourself completely to the Lord. Um, and so part of that consecration is renouncing marriage, uh, but it's ultimately about giving yourself uh, fully to the Lord. And so that's kind of in summary uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, so there's living out chastity, and then there's also the vow of chastity. I think the obvious question for a lot of people, because this is one of those curious things in Catholicism, like why do you do this? What's the purpose of renouncing marriage for, for the sake of chastity? Yeah, so one of the things that Pope John Paul II talks about, he, he talks about this idea of being dedicated to God with an undivided heart, and which is making reference to 1 Corinthians, uh, where St. Paul talks about the idea of having an undivided heart. But it's ultimately people who are making a vow of chastity are committing themselves in an ex- exclusive way to be a particularly like a radiant sign to the world. Um, and so... It's a gift that we make to the Lord, but then there's also a way in which uh, we become a sign to the rest of the world because uh, we we have an undivided heart. We're dedicating ourselves completely um, to the Lord himself and then also to the mission that the Lord has entrusted to us. I mean, I I think it's it's looking and saying marriage is a good and it is the natural, normal call of every human being on the face of the planet. Even for us, we experience the pull and the call to, to marriage that never goes away. And at the same time, this is a supernatural call kind of almost in a certain sense placed on top of that natural call to, to marriage, a supernatural call to give that up for the sake of the kingdom of heaven to say, it's not that marriage is bad. It's that there's something good and there's something better. There's a reality of saying, let's not just live the call to marriage, which is a sign of, of of heaven itself, but um, let's give up the sign for the sake of the reality of living uh, the supernatural life of heaven here on earth. 
for those that are that are called to that. And, and there's a specific way in which we're imitating Jesus, um, and so it's not just that you know I I'm following a law that the church is asking, or I'm just doing something that's in the tradition of the church. But it, it's a tradition that's rooted specifically in imitating Jesus, Jesus who uh, dedicated himself completely to the Heavenly Father, who he himself renounced marriage for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so there's a very specific way in which chastity, while it might seem odd to the rest of the world, when we look at Jesus as an example and then consecrated people are simply, in a certain way, imitating the Lord himself. And I would say, too, that it's it's an invitation. It's not a commandment. So Mark 10, the rich young man kneels before Jesus. What do I have to do to inher- inherit eternal life? Jesus looks at him and loves him and invites him, has a particular counsel for this particular man of go and sell all that you have and come follow me. Um, obviously, poverty is included in that, but I would say chastity, too, of here is this particular invitation from Jesus himself to leave everything behind, including marriage, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, to follow him. Um, And I think that's really at the heart of what uh, the vow of chastity is all about. It's a particular invitation from Jesus that the four of us have received from Jesus himself um, to follow him in this particular way. Now, I'm trying to put myself back in the mind of a high schooler, uh, (laughs) which isn't that hard sometimes. But uh, and even when I taught high school students, a lot of them there was something really attractive about the the priesthood, but they also just wrestled so much with this call to chastity. And I think that the point of kind of this question that I'm going to ask is is framed through that. Like, what would you tell a high school student, a, bo- a boy or a girl who's discerning the religious life? What would you tell them about? their struggle with this vow of chastity and, and even, and I don't want to like dismiss high school students and the way that they look at it, because I think a lot of them, it's not just like, Oh, so you're saying I can't have sex. It's like they understand that embracing chastity also implies this, like more than just renouncing sexual activity. It implies also like not having children. What would you say to a high school student who is wrestling with that in their discernment? I would say this. I I remember very distinctly when I was 18 wrestling with that exact question of, oh my gosh, I have been in, you know, a handful of romantic relationships, however deep or profound they are in high school. And like, this is, this is awesome. This is amazing to have someone that cares so much about you and to receive that love from someone else. It's so edifying. It's so rewarding. Um, how I wrestle with that, how on earth could I give that up? Lord, how on earth could you be calling me to give up that reality uh, for the sake of serving and living and loving you? How can you fill that space and that void that's there? And the only thing that I can wonder is just like, I'm in awe. I remember like reflecting on that when I was 18 and I remember my ordination thinking back to that and realizing how in awe I am of the Lord and his love of you make a sacrifice for the Lord, and yes, you might feel that sacrifice in some ways, but the Lord is is abundant in uh, in making up for all the sacrifices that 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 we make for Him. He has this way of rewarding us, and I guess uh, 
I never realized how fulfilling being in relation to Jesus and allowing his love to uh, satisfy so many desires and needs that I have, as well as uh, the gift of loving and being part of the body of Christ and being able to be in relationship with so many people uh, in a wide variety of life, whether that's working at a high school or um, being around the families that we know. Being able to, to love chastely as a brother and as a priest, how incredibly fulfilling that is. Unfortunately, the only thing I could say to it, like an 18-year-old would be like, you just got to try it. Be open to it. But but I think it's it's this mentality of we don't realize how much the Lord wants to love us and how much he wants to take care of us and satisfy desires that we have, things that we can't imagine him fulfilling. Somehow, some way, he's going to do it because he's the author of who we are and, and he knows our desires and he created us, so only he can do it. Um, but it, that sounds really hard um, in a in a very uh, you know particular way you know for for a teenager. I would tell that high school student their desires for marriage are good, and that they don't need to think that they shouldn't be married. You know, but what Father James is getting at is that when you encounter the Lord's love for you, when you're able to experience His gaze in a way that you've never experienced before. He's able to surpass your desires even to be married. And that just comes from knowing Jesus in an ongoing way. And so their desire for marriage is good. But if God is calling them to take a vow of chastity, he's going to love them in such a way where they're like, I can't not be in relationship with Jesus. I cannot not give myself completely to him because I can sense he's giving himself completely to me in this unique way. And, the, and there's something, too, about the, the evangelical vow uh, of chastity is both a sacrifice, but the core of it is not just an absence. And sometimes I think when you look at it from the outside or, or like a high school student, for example, like looking at somebody making a vow of chastity from the outside, they can only see the absence, but then what's what's there in addition to just the absence? Like, what's what is it about chastity other than just renouncing marriage? And I think, like, looking at an example like Mother Teresa, where she makes this vow of chastity, you can clearly see in Mother Teresa's life a woman with an undivided heart. And that undivided heart then leads her to be available and maternal in a way that's almost like indescribable and there's something about and even though she's you know passed away like even when I just like look at a picture of Mother Teresa you can see there's something in her that's radiating out and I think it has to do you know with the vow of chastity that she made where she made herself so available to the Lord the Lord then in his grace makes her available as a mother to the entire world. If I had a high schooler sitting in front of me that was talking about that they felt this calling to celibacy, this calling to chastity, this calling to their religious life, um, but that there was, I think really, I mean, it's like, it was what you were saying. It's, I don't think most of them would be like, oh, I don't understand why I would have to give up sex. But I think it's more of, there's a fear and intimidation of one, 
am I capable of that? Um, and two, what is that experience going to be like? What is that going to entail? And really, I think something that each person needs to reflect upon is um, their natural desire. One, so we were talking about marriage is like the nat- natural desire. And then there's a supernatural vocation that the Lord might be calling somebody to with regards to chastity. And it's something that we talked about in the Theology of the Body podcast is rather than just repressing my desires or overindulging my desires, I need to dialogue with my desires. So I need to ask myself, like, how am I actually viewing a spousal relationship? And how am I actually viewing marriage? And do I actually believe that my spouse is going to completely fulfill me? Do I think that I'm never going to be mad at my spouse that I'm, ne- that I'm never going to be lacking in the midst of a marital relationship? The honest answer to that, I think most married couples, if not all married couples that ever get in an argument or frustrated with each other, will honestly say like, no, they can't fulfill me. And I'll never forget, um, I was at a focus conference and two of my friends in college had just got engaged. And it was the first time I'd seen them since they got engaged. And they came up to me and they were sharing the story of their engagement. And um, I'm like so excited seeing them. Those two of my really good friends. And in front of each other, they were sharing like this beautiful testimony of we thought this was going to be one of the greatest days on our life. You know, we're in St. Mary's in College Station, Texas. I kneeled down on one knee. I, I proposed to her. It was awesome. It was great. And then we're kneeling there praying. And it was just like, OK, that was that was good. That was good. And she she's standing there as he's saying this, like, yeah, yeah. And he just said, I realized like in that moment after the engagement of she's not fully what I'm longing for. And she's not going to be able to satisfy what I'm actually aching for. And she's standing there like, yeah, yeah, you know. And it was just beautiful to see a married couple who recognized, like, you can't fulfill me and I can't fulfill you. And then that, when we recognize that actual truth within the regard of human relationships, that we're not made to fully fulfill one each other and that we can't, it's actually impossible. It makes a lot of sense. In Office of Readings today in uh, Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, one of the things that Lord speaks to Eve is that your desire is going to be for your husband. He's going to rule over you. So there's actually this disharmony now in our relationships with one another, specifically with a wife and her husband and a husband with her wife. And so we actually need to like look into the truth of human relationships to experience freedom of, okay, what can I actually be fully satisfied? And even if I'm called to marriage, what is fully going to satisfy me? If I'm called to chastity, what is going to fully satisfy me? So there's just this freedom that we need to have by looking at our desires, I think. So you guys are men who have taken that leap and live out the vow of chastity. What's your experience like? What are the fruits? I want to know, I guess, the fruits and, and what's like, aside from the obvious, like what are the sacrifices of chastity? So I'll say this, that I think, um, first off, I, I think there needs to be an association of chastity should be associated with Christianity. Um, to live a life in Jesus is to be chaste. And I don't think we value that or appreciate that in our world today at all, but there's something radically different about a Christian that's authentically, no matter what their state in life is, if they're authentically living chastity, um, that means that Jesus is living in them and, and acting through them in a particular way, which means they're gonna, their love is going to be very different. Because the fact of the matter is, 21st century America probably a vast majority of people out there are not living chastely. Um, that there's a struggle with with uh, impurity because of the ease of the access to it. And that means you're going to stand out. So I would say, like, this sounds incredibly generic, but the fruits of living in chastity is really the fruits of the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is to say, to be following Christ in chastity means that his life is going to be over and abundant, uh, living, welling up through you. And that affects the way I think that you are able to love and interact with people, which is just a great gift of um, it stands out. And I, and I think I would say what Father James highlighted about the authenticity of it is super important because, you know, with the scourge of abuse that happened um, in the past 50 years or so, you had people who were supposed to be chased that weren't actually chased, that were actually committing grave evil and crimes. And so the importance of living it authentically, because otherwise then you just, you don't become a sign of God's grace. You just become a cause of scandal for, for people. And I would, for myself, one of the fruits I would say that I highlighted a little bit ago with mother Teresa was that, that radical availability that she had. And, and I don't mean it simply by like she was available to wake up at any hour of the night because she didn't have a spouse. It's not just the functional availability. There is something about the person is completely available to give themselves to the Lord and give themselves uh, to the mission and be available completely to the person that's in front of them in that moment. And so it's not just like I'm available at any hour of the night, but it's something more profound than that. I think um, when we talk about chastity makes somebody radically available. I would say the fruit is kind of twofold. One, in my relationship with Christ, there's fruit. And then, um, as Father Paul was just emphasizing, there's a fruitfulness for the sake of the kingdom. So, in my relationship with Christ, St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, that the unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And so in my relationship with Jesus, because I belong completely to him, I'm able just to consider how can I please him? How can I be about his affairs? Um, and there's a intimacy that comes in prayer with him of just only letting my one worry or care be how to please him. Um, and so there's a fruitfulness in my relationship with Christ. But as Father Paul was emphasizing, God uses the chaste man to communicate his own love through that man or woman. So I'll never forget the first time that I met Father John, and he was able to receive me as a person and love me with the Father's love flowing through him. And that was because he had given himself completely to the Lord in chastity and the vow of chastity for so many years that he was he's just a vessel. And so one of the fruits, I think, is this availability, as Father Paul said, to just have a capacity to have a spiritual paternity or spiritual maternity to receive souls and love them with Christ's own love. It's funny that we, we keep talking about like this, this theme of like, I'm able to love with Jesus's love. Like really like that's what we're getting at with chastity is kind of like all of us were able to love with the love of Christ. And um, I completely agree. That was my first thing that I thought of when I got the question. And when I was kind of discerning okay well what what does that actually mean to like love with Jesus's love the first thing that came in my mind was okay I'm like mimicking the love of Christ like that's what I wrote down and then I like stopped and I was like that is so wrong like that is totally off 
And if so, we, if we just see like the evangelical councils is like, I'm just mimicking Jesus. I'm just simply doing what he did back then 2000 years ago. You're missing the entire point of why we're called to the evangelical councils. And so when I went back to it, I realized like it's, we're reflecting something that the Lord um, is really doing in us and through us. And there was just like this image for me to like kind of understand of just like you, you have like a window, like a window is meant to like reflect the light. But if there's something blocking the window, if there's a curtain that's blocking the window, if there's an object, the light's not going to get into the room. But also if that window is in some way smudged or something, the light's not able to permeate. And so when people are amazed by the way that we love them or whatever it is, we get to delight too because we're like, isn't Jesus's love incredible? Literally all I am is a window. <laughs> it's just coming right through me to you. So I think that's like really important to keep in mind when thinking about the vow of chastity. Another thing that the Lord was just showing me that's been kind of like an interior fruit and actually also through philosophy, getting words to describe what was happening because of chastity is one of the fruits of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5 uh, is peace. So he talks about in Galatians 5 that there's, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And then also in Philippians, I think it's chapter 2, it talks about a peace which surpasses all understanding. Chapter four, Brother Thomas holding up his fingers. Thank you, brother. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And what I found is the interior life, your interior disposition becomes a lot more peaceful when your passions, when the feelings and different things that arise within you, you're actually able to control them, right? So like we can talk about, so chastity is a virtue, which Brother Thomas was describing to be able to have control of like sexual desires, but also like to, to make like a different example of like anger, right? I feel anger. What happens is all I can think about my anger and until I like release my anger, I just like, I can't calm down. I can't be satisfied. That's not the example of peace, obviously, but it's also not the example of virtue. And so when we have the virtue of chastity, we're actually able to remain in a constant disposition of peace in the Lord, to be free that whatever arises, it's not going to rock the boat necessarily because I have this firmness and rootedness in the Lord. So it's just been a real gift to, yeah, be at peace interiorly at times whenever there's yeah different temptations or struggles that come. And I think that peacefulness is partly what people encounter when they encounter a, a consecrated person that is living chastity. You know, and so it's like if you have ever seen a beautiful lake when it's like completely calm, you know, it's just placid. There's something peaceful and beautiful about it. And I think a lot of people's experience of their own humanity and human sexuality is it's like a violent waves and storms and stuff. And so when they encounter somebody that is peaceful it's calming for them and healing for them because that person in some way can, you know, maybe share a little bit of their peacefulness because it's disorienting to constantly be in chaos and waves and everything. I mean, even if we look at Jesus, like what does he ultimately do on the sea of Galilee during that storm? He brings peacefulness uh, that allows the apostles to, to live and to experience joy and so so there's something about that peacefulness that people experience in the consecrated person which can bring a certain healing to other people so we've talked about fruits now aside from the obvious i want to know about the sacrifices of 
embracing a life of chastity? I just remember my first year when I moved to community and I hadn't taken a vow of chastity yet, but I was, you know, preparing to do that if God continued to call me. I remember just being stripped of all my friends from my old life. And Mother Teresa has this quote. She keeps on coming up. So she says, chastity is not just not getting married, not to have a family. Chastity is that undivided love, no one and nothing, you know, but Jesus. And when I started to live that, no one and nothing but Jesus, it was really painful. The Lord was stripping away everything that had made me comfortable. I was having to learn to give and receive love in a new way because all the people who loved me were gone, right? (laughs) All the people that I loved were also gone. So it's like, hey, no one, nothing but Jesus. And it it was really painful until I realized that God was actually answering one of my prayers, you know, because before religious life, I had prayed, Jesus, I just want to belong completely to you. And Jesus, all I desire is you. Um, Authentic prayers. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was starting to, through practicing chastity, this undivided love for the Lord, take away everything that was not him. And what he allows us when we practice chastity, I think at least at the beginning, is this stretching and expanding of our heart in order to receive his infinite love. Because if there's any other attachment, if there's any other blur of the mirror or window, as brother was saying, he can't have the full place. And so I experienced a challenge of no one and nothing but Christ. And that at first was really difficult. I think connected to that is when you kind of move assignments as a religious you're going to a whole new set of people, and that means you let go of your previous relationships in ministry. Um, so I remember experiencing that quite a bit, especially the first time that I taught at Match Buffalo as a brother, transitioning to seminary. Of man, I'm become I have become gifted at teaching, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm invested in these students. I'm invested in the faculty, and now all of a sudden, that's taken away, and now I have to study which is not near as rewarding <laughs> as uh, working with youth and young adults. So, But I think um, that really is a sacrifice of, of chastity. Of mm. my, my love, first and foremost, goes to Jesus. And that means I have to follow him wherever he leads. Um, and that means I have to be available for whatever it is that he asks. And so when he redirects me to somewhere else, there is a sacrifice of, of letting go of those relationships or not being able to keep in, in touch with people as much as you might like. Um, for the sake of saying yes to what Jesus is asking me in the present. Yeah, there there is just the obvious like sacrifice of of a spouse, and also the like consolation you know that 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 brings that a person you know the and the complementarity, the natural complementarity that exists between spouses, which. There's different ways in religious life that you have uh, complementarity that you experience and 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 community that, but there's just something distinctive about it. So even you know recently, being at you know at chaplain school for the Navy, you know there was four priests and then about 24 uh, Protestant ministers who were married, and you know those 
Protestant ministers, like at the end of a really difficult day, if we had talked to, you know, we had one day that was basically like how to help people with struggling with suicide. So like a really heavy day of stuff. A lot of those Protestant chaplains were getting on the phone with their wives for an hour and talking to them. And it's just different than uh, different than a celibate. Now, I could have called somebody from the community, but, but there's just something distinctive about having a companion that is constantly with you, right, that you give up as part of the sacrifice of uh, renouncing marriage for the sake of the kingdom. So during my first year of religious life, um, I really was confronted with something that I wasn't expected to be confronted con- confronted with, and that is not just living into a vow of chastity, because like what what we keep saying is chastity is like loving with the Lord's love, but what that entails is uh, love is not foreign to me before I take my vow of chastity. Right, like that's something that's just like within me. I was perfectly capable of loving beforehand, but now in a vow of chastity in the midst of religious life, I'm called to a, a greater maturity in my love. And when I was a 21 year old that left college to join a religious community and was discerning a vow of chastity, I didn't really have a conception of what maturing that love was going to look like. And maybe some of the brothers can hash this out with me too, but something that I quickly realized was. Um, I think a difference between a lay person who's going to live chastity and a consecrated celibate who's going to live chastity is that my enti- all of my intentions, all of my affections, all of my actions are directed to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so sometimes if people don't understand that, if they don't like understand that aspect of religious life and the beauty of that, of what we're called to, it can seem like we are not as affectionate you know, as other people. And for me, when I was in college, physical touch was one of my main love languages. But quickly realizing that as a consecrated religious brother who's going to take a vow of chastity, you know, I have to be, I have to be cognizant of the way that I love people in a greater intentionality than I ever did before. And so the way that I'm talking to people, the way that I hug people, the way that I interact with people, everything just needs to have a, a, a greater almost sensitivity for the sake of making sure that my own heart is solely directed to the Lord. I don't know if that makes sense to you guys or if you want to add anything to that, but yeah. And that's a segue into a question I was going to ask, which is aside from just living out chastity by not having sex, like what are some practical things that servants do in order to safeguard chastity? For us, in terms of what do we do to to safeguard chastity, I mean, the first is prayer of prioritizing that. And we, as we've talked about in other podcasts, holy hour comes first and foremost, and that has to happen in the course of the day. The other is just being very intentional in what you share. And Ed, you mentioned this, like you have to probably do this um, in many degrees of what do I share with someone other than my wife Um, and just safeguarding what is personal to me and um, even if someone genuinely cares about me, and you know, sometimes I, I feel like, as um, as priests or religious, they look at us like we are asexual. Like he becomes Father James, he becomes Brother Thomas. He no longer experiences any uh, sexual desire. And there's this like sometimes people will ask some like probing questions or or just all sorts of things. And so there is a certain sense of you're constantly like. I'm not going to answer that or, you know, I'm going to answer this in a very superficial way 
because I have to guard, like there's an intimacy that I have with the Lord for the sake of being available to all that I don't want to divulge areas of my heart that just belong with Jesus. And, um, you know, I think that's in reference to even sometimes our prayer. People ask us about prayer, and I think there's something of this is this is intimate and this is personal, and I can't necessarily always share everything. Um, so I have to discern what what is it that's that's okay to share. What is it that's that's good? Um, sacrifice and penance is is helpful for chastity, as well as in particular fasting is helpful for chastity. If there's something in relationship between uh, your appetite for food. And your sexual appetites as well. Like, there's there's a correlation between these two. So, in a document from 1983 called Magisterium on Religious Life, the Church says, "Moreover, by professing the councils by vows, religious undertake to do all that is necessary to deepen and foster what they have vowed, and this means a free choice of the cross, that it may be as it was for Christ, proof of the greatest love." And I think those words that struck me there were to do all that is necessary to deepen and foster what they have vowed. And I think there's a seminarian, a seminarian person in formation, person that's vowed, whatever it is, being a human person, you have attractions and you have affections. And there, is, there needs to be a constant awareness for each person and they're saying even a married man and they, why do i say it what do i say oh yeah only if you're celibate you have affections this is not true so every person has affections and attractions and so again we can act like they don't exist or i can do whatever i need to to deepen and foster the vows that i've made to the lord whether that's a married vow or that's a vow of consecrated life and so i think a huge part of like the servants is we really try to be aware of what is what's going on in my heart in the midst of social circumstances, in the midst of ministry and different things and like not running from that, but like allowing the Lord to do what he needs to, including sacrifice for the sake of sacrificially living into the vow that I made to the Lord. So I think practically one thing that we really try to do is to be very intentional in our relationships with women of not spending one-on-one time with them uh, in a place by ourselves outside of spiritual direction or confession and making sure that as well that yeah I, if I'm going somewhere if I'm doing something I'm in a public place I'm not by myself this isn't coming across in a way that could be scandalous to others um, also just very intentional about keeping each other apprised like us talking to Father John or Superior if um, if we are going to go off one-on-one in a conversation with a woman um, just being intentional about that so to close this off we talked in the podcast on poverty about how the evangelical councils apply to all christians anything that you would say to listeners who are probably not going to be religious about how the evangelical vow of chastity applies to them and how they can live it out in their life now or the best way that they can live it out in their life now so chastity, as I said earlier, stands out in our world today. And I think the perception of the world is that chastity is one big no. Of I'm saying no to a momentarily desire because I feel like I have to. And I think that in Christians, there is a lot of self-denial that's there for the sake of an authentic love. And what I think is really important for everyone 
whether you take a vow of chastity or not, is you need to give thanks for that gift. If Jesus gives you that gift today, it is worth giving thanks for to say, Jesus, thank you for the gift of chastity. Thank you for the gift of being able to say no to temptation when it comes. Thank you for the gift of loving purely and being free from from lust um, when that is a gift. And it's something that I have to keep giving thanks for because if it's just a matter of just saying no repeatedly again and again and again, what am I saying yes to? And I feel like that's a, what a lot of people feel nowadays. So to realize like this is a gift, and honestly I would say to any listener that's listening to this, you have probably said no to some sort of unchastity in your life at some point, whether that is complete and total 100% or not. I just want to say this. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes to chastity and thank you for denying the opportunity for lust because it is a gift. It's a blessing. And we will not see the fruitfulness that those no's add up to until we get to heaven. Yeah, along the lines of Father James, our will is not going to be desiring something that is just a big no. Okay. If you tell me like, don't do this, there's nothing in that that makes my will want to desire it because it's just a privation. My will is actually desiring an existing good. And so I would just say to everyone, there is such a gift in being chaste. As Brother Peter and Father James and Father Paul said, there's a greater peace. There's a greater joy. And blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God. I mean... If you're pure of heart, you will get to see God and hear God so much more clearly. And I know that in my own life, but I also know that in people that I've heard, you know, in spiritual direction. Those who are pure of heart see God and hear God. Um, And Jesus wants to be united to you. And so if you want to have a greater relationship with Christ, do whatever it takes to bring about chastity in your life. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.13, The body is not made for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body, which is crazy. Jesus wants to be one heart with you, one mind with you, even one flesh with you, as St. Paul says in Galatians 5. And that can't happen unless we are chaste. And so holding up that good, holding up that beauty of what it means to be integrated in our humanity and our sexuality is so worth it. Sounds like a good place to conclude. Thank you very much, fathers and brothers, for sharing your reflections today on the Evangelical Council of Chastity. I have greatly enjoyed it. As always, you can learn more about the Servants of Christ Jesus and find podcast episodes as well as homilies and talks from the servants at scjesus.org. Thank you very much, servants. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it. Thank you, Edward Lugo.